The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of In the Market Trenches. Uh, last episode, we had an awesome guest for you. We had Peter Rappaport. If you didn't listen to it, remember to check it out. Um, this week, we're going to bring it back to In the Trenches with me and Gary. Um, before I start, remember, you can check us out on our blog, www.accretivewealthpartners.com. We're available on Facebook. We're on, available on LinkedIn. You could subscribe to us and download our episodes anywhere podcasts are available. We're also available at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com also at snn.network or the SNN YouTube channel at youtube.com slash SNN wire. So, uh, you know, Gary and I have been talking about this, this company for a little while and what we wanted to do for this episode. Uh, in our original podcast, we, we told you sometimes we're going to name the name of the companies, sometimes we're not. This is going to be an episode where we, we share the name of the company with you. Just keep in mind with these, you know, if we are sharing the name of the company, it's not because it's good or bad or indifferent. This is just a, a moment in time that Gary and I were following this company. Um, and this is our view and our take and our experience of when we were involved. This is one that we're no longer involved with. So, but just keep that in mind, regardless if we're naming it or even if we're not. So, Gary, what are we talking about today? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, to just piggyback on what you said before we get going too far. I mean, it, it just seemed when we went through this last time, it was a little little too abstract for our liking. So we thought uh, we might as well uh, sort of get a little bit more detailed and, and granular and less abstract because it might be just more helpful that way. So um, the company we're going to talk about today is a company that we were involved with, uh, we're no longer involved with, we're no longer shareholders of the company. Um, it's a company that does aircraft leasing. It's called uh, AeroCentury. And we were involved for, was it a, about a year, Eric, would you say? Yeah, about a year. Yeah. Felt like a year. Oh, felt like longer really? than a year, but it was really in, you know, some of these things, uh, I feel like we were involved a, a little bit longer than we, uh, than we, than we were. Um, so well, this I, I company like does aircraft for about half a year. Yeah. Or the original plan was only be involved for about six months or so. And then, uh, as time dragged on, we, we sort of got, well, it, the, the, the investment sort of dragged on. And so, uh, so, the, so this company, AeroCentury, does aircraft leasing. It's essentially a form of off-balance sheet finance for airlines. And uh, they are earning a spread on the cost of their cost of financing and what their implied interest rate is for the uh, the air, aircraft that they're leasing, and then there's some play also on the residual values of what the planes are worth. Uh, AeroCentury was an externally advised entity. Uh, by uh, It was advised by an entity called JetFleet, which was uh, the uh, external advisor, which was majority owned by the former CEO who was deceased, and then now C and the CFO, who was his spouse. And... Um, this one sort of always pops up on any screen you'll do where you're looking for cheap stocks, uh, sort of a, a lower price to book. And it was always a pass for me, partly because of the external advisory structure. And so at some point in time, I noticed, though, that they were collapsing the structure. 
and uh, that got me a little bit more interesting, uh, interested. And so this thing always had screened at 25 to 35% of book, give or take. And some of that discount to the book value is, is related to the assets themselves and the, and the customers. And some of it is we thought was due to the external advisory structure. And we thought if the external advisory structure was going away, then maybe some of that gap would close. And so that was sort of how the, how the thesis started. Uh, I don't tend to like external advised structures. Eric, how do you feel about them? No, I'm in a similar boat. I mean, it's uh, the screen's really cheap. Uh, what made me interested in it was one, they're getting really that external structure, but two, the sweetheart deal that went along with it. Uh, that gave me a little bit more confidence that book value was fairly marked. Well, yeah, I mean, so so the they were they were unwinding the structure, and I think as per, per the management agreement, they were entitled to, I believe, three times, three times the, um, three times the annual revenues uh, was 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 part of the termination fee, but they kind of did it under a sweetheart deal. Well, they only did it for. I think it was roughly a third of that amount. And I think, um, was it half of it came in stock or it was, it was a substantial portion of it came in, came in stock in, 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 in era century. Right. If, yeah. If I'm recalling that correctly. Mm-hmm. And so these people were rolling their management company back into the company and taking more stock. And that looked to us to be a somewhat optimistic thing to be doing. And, you know, with the, with the unwinding of this management contract, there was a fairness opinion that was in the back of the proxy. Uh, that included a you know a fairness opinion where they looked at the marks and the plans and everything else like that and so we sort of based on that got kind of comfortable that the that the portfolio was marked reasonably anyway what else am i what, am, what else am i missing from the start with this uh i i just think that from where we go from there uh you know this company we we thought that it would the the unfolding of this the folding of this back into the into the managed entity would add quite a bit to the earnings of the company it was kind of opaque because you know, they, we could we could tell what they were being filled, billed, but we couldn't necessarily tell what the management company was earning. But we know asset management businesses, so we thought we had a pretty decent idea of what kind of uh, earnings should be rolled back into the into the company. And so we thought the earnings would improve, and this external structure would go away, and that and both of those things theoretically should help uh, help the multiple close that book value gap. Uh, we thought somewhat substantially, and probably in a our best guess was a six month period of time. My, yeah, what so am I missing? I think you kind of you kind of glossed over this, but you did mention it. I don't know who founded it, uh, but I mean, this is basically husband-wife type of setup. Husband dies, wife was still in the business as a CFO. She's going to take a bunch of shares in stock. I don't know. To me, this also looked like a situation where you could look a couple of years out and the whole company gets sold. Um, that seemed to be the exit strategy. Now, also, and yeah, we, thought, we did some of yeah. our scuttlebutt research where um, we found that the CFO lived in California. She put her house up for sale. We thought, okay, like if you're, you know, it's a high income tax state. If you're going to sell the company, why don't you leave the high income tax state, find a domicile and a lower tax residence and then realize your gain. Yeah, when we, when we learned that, we thought there was probably some some tax and estate planning possibly going on with this, right? And so that was also sort yeah. of a tell to us. So we've got this really, really wide, really, really wide discount to the book value and a couple things on the horizon that should that we thought should help close it in a, in a relatively short period of time. Now, 
we should say that we, we we didn't necessarily love the business under underneath it. Um, we thought that there were certain risks. They were they were providing financing to we thought risk some riskier uh, lessor uh, lessees. And, and so the longer this dragged on, the, the, the biggest risks in our mind as this, as this happened were there, were there were two, two or three different things. One was uh, there was some interest rate risk because they were financing, you know, shorter term LIBOR based, LIBOR linked. And we were actually mm-hmm. at that point entering something of a tightening cycle. But then the biggest thing in our view was, was sort of the residual values here. And we got some comfort with that because of the fairness opinion. But, you know, there was still some risk to that. And. If you don't have, if, if, if this isn't a business that we love under the underlying, we don't, we don't, you know, the longer this thing take, took, took to happen, the greater the likelihood that something happened to it. Um, and so if it's three to six months and the environment's pretty benign, we can have a decent, you know, a closing of, uh, you know, a, a multiple gap of a meaningful, a meaningful narrowing of that, of that discount. But the longer that took to go on, the greater the likelihood that something adverse happened and maybe, brought that brought the book value down and you know the, the multiple gap closed that way or you know some, something else occurred um and so as we got into this one we we thought that as we mentioned maybe three to six months we wound up needing the, a shareholder vote and it's sort of the whole process just sort of started to lengthen and do you actually where do we want to start on that there yeah i mean let's right. start where were the first red flags um I mean, so we had some questions about their capital allocation policies, and you flew out there for one of the shareholder meetings. You met the new CEO and you talked to him. Um, what was that conversation like? What did you find out then? Yeah, so myself and another friend friend of ours went out to the, to this meeting uh, for the vote on the on the merger. We were the only ones there. I think we were the only people who had visited the company in I don't know, sounded like a couple of years, and and so. You know, we we got in a room with these guys, and we, part of it was we wanted, we wanted to see like, what are these what are these people motivated by? Uh, are they are they do they at least seem like they want to do the right thing? So a lot of times with these smaller companies, the management teams can sort of be all over the map, and uh, oftentimes the best management teams wind up at the bigger companies, and you know, and so we wanted to sort of just size them up a little bit and see see what the deal was. They brought in a new CEO after the founder passed, and the CFO was was, was still there. Uh, I asked the, the incoming C, CEO, who at the time didn't didn't own any stock. Now the now the the CFO owned a large chunk of stock, and if you recall wow. what Peter said, you know he, that's one of the things he looks for. We we look for that too. We like to see that alignment of interests. Um, there's a trade off between having a lot and having too much, where you're basically along for the ride, whether you like it or not, and and you can't really change anything that happens. But uh, the, this was a meaningful chunk of chunk of the shares, uh, and the CEO the CEO did not yet own any. And they seemed to sort of intimate that maybe some of that was coming in some sort of equity plan that post the deal closure. And uh, I guess we got involved in this. Was it sort of towards the beginning of the year we got involved in it? Was it was it like a yep. January mm-hmm. was the initial period of time? The mm-hmm. shareholder vote kind of got kicked out. They had to issue a proxy. They had to solicit votes. They had to do a whole bunch of other things that they really didn't count on having to do. And so we didn't we didn't think that it was intentional to push it out. And so the, the shareholder meeting didn't really occur until late August. Of, of that year, I actually flew out to San Francisco for it, and I stayed actually with with Peter prior to it. So um, it's we we, t- we talked about some of the alignment of interest things and, and so forth. But um, so that vote happened late August, and they approved the merger. And it was sort of the company; it was sort of in the company's discretion as to when they picked the close date. And 
they could have picked the close date that occurred in the in the third quarter, but instead the close date didn't occur till October 1st. And that had an element of really lengthening the time for this to work out in my view. So right. often, because in the microcap space, for these things to work, like you need to show results. You need to put it in front of people's faces and say, these are the numbers. And that's how things are going to get repriced. And that's how valuation gaps are going to close. And so when you, when you close this deal, when you have discretion when the deal closes on October 1st, it just kind of kicks this out a little bit longer. Yeah. We, so we, we sort of thought when we initially got into it that this thing could be closed up by the end of the second quarter. And I think that was actually the state of detention, but it, it sort of got lengthened from there. And, and so it wound up not closing in the second quarter, but in the fourth quarter. And so based on the way these companies report, um, you know, if it closed in the second quarter, these, these guys would be reporting in pr presumably in pr improved full clean quarter for the third quarter, which would come out sort of mid-November. And so that was sort of our timeline for being being involved initially. Uh, with them reporting a no, uh, an October 1st closing, well, now you're in the fourth quarter. So you don't, the quarter doesn't close till the end of the year. You don't have a clean quarter until the end of the first quarter. So they're not going to report the fourth quarter until the end of March because it's a small company and they have 90 days to file, I, I believe. And you're not going to report a clean first quarter until the middle of May. And so this took an investment that we thought was we were going to be involved in to get a get sort of a re-rating. It took us from being in, in sort of the nine-month time frame and turned us into the 18-month time frame. And when you have a business underneath it that's, in our view, kind of risky, where a lot of things can happen to it, you sort of just increase the risk that something happens to it during that time. And and so we had we had a bit of a tightening cycle, and that that created something of a of an earnings headwind. And so we sort of you know, we, we were sort of hanging around to see a clean quarter and we, we, I don't think we got that. Did we get that, Eric? Mm, no, I think between all the write downs and everything, we, we walked away well before that, that happened. Um, yeah. And there were some other red flags along the way. So the, 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 I mentioned I met the CEO, I didn't own any stock. I sort of intimated he would get some sort of an equity deal. I don't know that they ever really got an, I don't know that he ever really nope. wound up getting equity in the company, did he? At least not enough. If he not did, it was some de minimis amount. Yeah, it, it wasn't meaningful. And then I asked the capital allocation question, which I thought was kind of important. I mean, the co the company was trading at you know thirty five percent of book. They could buy their own planes in the open market for thirty five percent of book, or buy a new plane for the sticker price, which is a hundred percent hundred cents of book. Like, which one would you would you rather do? And it's sort of uh, the the answer that I got to that question wasn't reassuring. So we sort of you know, we, we had these lingering concerns. And then as we sort of got on with it a bit, um, do you remember, um, you know, we said we were, the, the annual report wasn't going to be filed until mid-late March, um, but there's actually two different annual reports companies can file. There's the, there's the, there's the one that, ones that you file with the, with the commission, which is the 10K, but this company also issues sort of a glossier version of it, which it only put on its website. And we happened to read the, guy, read the CEO's shareholder letter and that sort of gave us a little bit of a pause too what did he say in that letter eric yeah so in the letter he had described you're going back to that capital allocation you're you're talking about buying in shares is what we thought they should be doing he wrote that he wanted to be issuing stock and so when we both saw that we both just kind of scratched our head and thought well, that, well that's the complete opposite of what we thought uh, and I think the idea was he'd yeah. be issuing stock so he could expand their fleet. 
um, which from a capital allocation standpoint, when it's trading at 35% of book, that just didn't seem to make sense. That probably yeah. should have we been. Felt, we my, felt like they needed to retain flag. some earnings. Yeah, it was a, red, a big red flag. We felt like they needed to retain some earnings. And if they're going to grow their fleet, they could do it via retained earnings uh, or just flat out sell the company because they were sort of subscale. And so, you know, we got write downs, we got more write downs, book, book, book value, you know, in the, in the fourth quarter got hit. And then we, we sort of wanted to see a clean quarter, which was going to be Q1 of 20, uh, Q1 of the following year. And we stuck around and we sort of saw that. But even though that had a completely internalized management company, it came with uh, some other stuff, right, Eric? A couple more write downs and a couple more write downs. They weren't quite earning what the what we thought they'd be earning. And at that point, I think once we once we saw that earnings release, I remember you and I spoke that morning. I don't even know that we talked about the actual numbers in it. It was just we're out of this today, right? And we said, "Yep, uh, yeah, we're out." There's no right no more thinking no more giving it one more quarter no more i think because in the fourth quarter we thought okay well maybe you know they're closing this deal maybe they're trying to get all the write downs they wanted to into this one quarter so the q1 they start to look good it's clean they're earning again things look great um that just didn't happen for q1 and so at that point you just pull the plug and walk away and it was no no question to ask um i think that morning it was you know the first First price was probably our, our best price of the day. Um, That's sort of a theme that we have with some of these things when we're disappointed with something or if there's something going on. You know, oftentimes it's it, 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 especially when you're disappointed, it could be first first price, best price. But uh, yeah. so we sort of worked that pretty hard. Uh, and, you know, the lessons learned from this one, I think there's a there's 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 a few of them. Uh, but the, for me. You know, we got we sort of went into it eyes wide open on what our what our thoughts and concerns were, but I think we we stuck around to see one more card a little bit longer than we should because you know we thought well maybe some of the incentive here was to try to get an attractive equity package and mark the books so that way you can you know sort of show better earnings later and you get a bunch of cheap stock and you know you can sort of you know over deliver on you know in sort of the out years but that as we when we saw the first quarter we threw that idea right out the window. That's sort of why I think we were sort of sticking around to see one more card. But mm-hmm. I think I think the lesson in this is, you know, we went into it thinking it'd be, you know, maybe nine months to, to see what we needed to see and to have happen what we need to have happen. And it really got pushed out to 18. And, you know, you know, at the end of the day, time kills all IRRs. And also when you're dealing with a business where you have a lot of risk involved, it also increases the likelihood that, uh, you know, something bad happens to you because this isn't, a, in my opinion, this isn't a business where anybody controls their own destiny. It's sort of, right. you're dictated by market forces. You're dictated by, you know, uh, cyclicality in, in terms of, you know, global travel. And this is all pre-COVID. So, you know, global, global travel ground to a halt with COVID, but like, this is all pre-COVID that this is, this is going on in terms of the interest rate cycle, in terms of the residual values, all of this sort of stuff. And so, um, you know, the longer the longer this thing dragged dragged on, it not only killed our IRR but increased the increased the risks associated with this thing. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I think some some valuable lessons here. Again, I think uh, you know the the initial thesis, in my view, wasn't so bad, but um, maybe the maybe the real problem for us was just hanging around longer than we should. And we were able to get, I think, 
pretty decent salvage value on it um, in terms of where we went in and we were able to get out. I mean, we definitely, uh, we definitely did, we definitely lost money on, on, on this one, but um, it was not, that, not as bad as it could have been, although it could have been better had we not hung around as long. So what, I mean, what were your key takeaways? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this, it just reinforced that when something isn't going the way you expect it to, you really have to ask yourself, why is that? And don't be afraid to just cut bait. Um, you could always revisit it later, or maybe just cutting bait right away is the best thing to do and you just move on. Uh, I think I made a lot of excuses as to why I thought the next quarter was always going to be the quarter, but it never quite was. Um, I followed the, 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 the trail of breadcrumbs of disappointment um to you know my eventual exit and that's just kind of how it was and i'm fine with that it's i learned a lot um i was okay walking away yeah i mean same here so with that uh i mean, I, I don't have too much more to say on this you um yeah i, I just again we uh i hope hope people appreciated the story yeah so like i said at the beginning of this uh some of these some of these we're going to be able to share the name of the company. Some of them we can't for obvious reasons. Uh, this is one that we can. And just because we are sharing the name of the company, we just want to make it clear that it, it's not that it's good or bad or indifferent. This is just our experience and our view in the company during the time that we had it. Um, for a lot of these, we may loosely follow them still just to kind of keep track of what's going on. But we're not really making any statement one way or another. Um, we hope you guys found this valuable. We, we hope you enjoyed this. We enjoy doing these. Uh, check out our blog again, www.accretivewealthpartners.com. Subscribe to us, download. Uh, we're available wherever podcasts are, are offered. You can download us. You can subscribe to us if you'd like. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook if you're Accretive Wealth Partners. Uh, you could also find us on snn.network or the snn uh, network YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash SNNWire. Gary, anything else? Can we let these people go? No, just uh, rate and review us. It, it certainly helps uh, get more listeners. And uh, with, I think the next one of these, we're going to have a guest. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll have some fun with that. And uh, if any of you would like awesome. to be listening to this, would like to be a guest or have a story you'd like to share, we'd love to hear it. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Gary. The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.